Welcome to the 20-something Trials Podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Denicio, and this is the show dedicated to navigating your 20s. Each week, you'll hear from a guest who has walked through an array of trials, triumphs, and more. My goal is to bring you tangible tips to help you grow into the woman you are destined to become. I started this podcast to connect with others, have real conversation about womanhood and career and life, and learn from the incredible groundbreaking people who I admire, and I know you will too. There is so much truth to be learned from our trials and in those of others. So together, let's explore all of the things that make us who we are and grow into the women we are meant to be together. Wednesday, you guys. Welcome back to another episode of 20-something Trials. I am so excited to have Gina Knox with us today. Gina, thank you so much for spending some time with me. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited. So my question to you, and this is one that, you know, I like it because I feel like sometimes it can stump us, but I think it forces us to think beyond the titles that we assume. So my question to you is, without any titles, who are you? Yeah, that's a really good question. I love it. Um, so I think like there's kind of the signifiers, right? Daughter, wife, mm-hmm. et cetera. But I think when I think of like who I am, I am a person that has a lot of joie de vivre. I, um, I like consume life in the fullest. And I think one of the ways that shows up is it's funny because I think in college, I started calling myself a woman of a million hobbies because I literally have so many hobbies. Like I do tango dancing, I do scuba diving, pottery, painting, photography. I got really big into in the last year, journaling, um, I'm thinking what else? Like there's just so many things. Travel, I used to travel a lot more. Um, but literally almost every hobby I feel like I have tried or I am actively doing. And I go through like phases of going really deep and then like forgetting about a hobby and moving on. But um, I think like, yeah, I'm a woman of a million hobbies and I have a huge lust for life. Um, so I think, I think that's who I am, like energetic. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I really love that because it's so easy. Like you said, you know, we sometimes hold on to those significant moments those significant identifiers, and it's really easy to get stuck inside of them. So the reason I love this question is because it gets, it allows me and the listeners to know you on a deeper level. You know, even though the bulk of what we're talking about today doesn't have to do with travel and pottery and dancing, you know, but it's still so cool to remember that we are all multifaceted and we're not just in this one box of what we do or who we are. But I am curious, is this something that started when you were a child? Like, were you that kid who was on 40 different teams? Um, Not really, because so I, my mom is Mexican. My dad is like super white American. (laughs) And my mom has like all these ideas about like, we call them ideas in Spanish, but it's just like, like thoughts about how one should live. And she was never the type of person to be like, I'm going to put you in all of the things and I'm going to pay to take you to the best schools and you're going to be in volunteering and have the best college application thing. Like she was not that kind of mom. Yeah. She was a lot more chill, which I appreciated. But I did do quite a few things. Like I, I learned how to sail when I was nine and I did sailing competitively for um, quite a few years. Oh, cool. And, um, I was always in arts in school, but I think it was more less less organized activities and more just in the home. 
Um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, there were four of us kids. Um, and there's 13 years between the youngest and the oldest. So we're really spread apart. And she's an extremely artistic person. So um, I think she facilitated a lot of the activities that we did, but it was never like organized. Yeah. So I definitely don't think I got a lot of that from her. Um, yeah. She did you, with us. It's kind of crazy. Wait, so where do you fall in the, the four of you? Where do you fall in between the, the siblings? I'm the third. Okay. Oh yeah, two boys first and then two girls. Second. Oh, so you're like technically a, one of the babies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess like it's hard to, it's funny because like, you know, you have like the um, sibling order, or, like birth yes. order, and also determine a lot about your personality. And I definitely don't feel like a middle child, but, um, so it's my two brothers. My aunt had three boys, so that's five. My other aunt had a boy, six. And then I was born. So I was the first girl. You broke the cycle. Yeah, I broke the cycle. And so I kind of feel like I have some of that younger, like uh, youngest child syndrome because yeah. I was the first girl. So everyone was like, oh my God, there's a girl finally. <laughs> yeah. Everybody like dotes over you. It was, yeah. It's funny. My boyfriend's family, there's only boys. So his uncle has two boys and he's, the, he's an only child. And even beyond that, like I think the last girl was like years and years and years ago. And so I'm like, oh, come on, like we need to break this cycle. I want a little one, not now, obviously, but I'm like, I want a little girl. Um, but I know, I don't know. I really, I, I love that. I think it's really cool the way that like so much of our childhood plays a role in who we become as adults. And so I wonder if the creative the creativeness that your mom had was instilled in you over time too. Oh yeah, 100%. So she... um had a professional career as a chef and she was she went to cool. cooking school she also went to i remember i think it was i was in preschool i was very young and she had enrolled in the community college for art classes and the community college had a preschool so i would go to the preschool there and she would go to school and um so she's she's kind of just been this like renaissance woman artist my whole life um so I would say I definitely, definitely get a lot of that from her. And I didn't appreciate it so much when I was younger. I think like, like she used to make all our, all our Halloween costumes. Or if we had a, um, I remember distinctly, we had a project in school where we had to, everyone got assigned a different style of dwelling at homes when we were learning about cultures around the world. And then we had to create a little, like um, in a shoe box, like a little shadow box of a home that we got assigned and I got assigned a tiki and we made it all from scratch and some of the kids had like bought kits and I remember being like mine doesn't look perfect like theirs because they bought a kit why do we have to make everything from scratch and like that was my qualm as a kid and then yeah. growing up I was like wow that was so special that my mom never just bought anything ready made it was always yeah. something that um, that we had because like, yeah she embody so much of that creativity. And now, you know, I think, I think a really cool thing about you is that you are a financial coach. You're the founder of Nightlight Financials. And as we're talking, and unless obviously the title of the podcast will give it away, but to me, it's very striking that somebody as creative as you ended up being able to tap into more of the left side of your brain, the more analytical, the more number focused. So where did where did that overlap with you? Where, how are you good at, like I'm creative and I can't do math for shit. So like, how, how did you get good at all this stuff? 
So it's really funny um, because, so my husband is going to like, when he hears this, he's going to kill me for saying this, but I um, fully, fully believe that in society, the best things, the best ideas, the best inventions, whatever happen at the intersection of two disciplines or more. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really where a lot of creativity is born. And so that's always just been my belief. And so it felt very natural to take two very different things and mesh them together. And I think like, I am not just a financial coach. And like yeah. in, that, in that version of myself, I'm not just the analytical Gina. And in the creative version of myself, I'm not just like the art school student Gina. I really believe that it's like one thing. And um, I think that it's kind of the better for it because I bring a lot of the deep empathy work, a lot of the creativity in creating new solutions, a lot of just like the beauty, like very tactically, like the beauty I put into my spreadsheets, I take yeah. that from my creative side and I apply it to the finance stuff. And I think it makes a better experience for my clients. Um, that being said, going back to your original question, where did it all come from? Um, my dad, was a lawyer. And I really feel like I am a mesh of my parents' personalities. My dad was a lawyer. He had actually, he was a musician in LA, a jazz musician in LA before my parents got married. Then he decided to go to law school and he kind of like changed tracks from being like this creative musician to being a lawyer. And again, yeah. I think he's better at it because he had that creative side. Um, but he was always the very analytical one, logical person. Um, and so I think I got a lot of that from him. I also learned a lot about finance from him. So okay. I think that's where it like started. Um, but what was I going to say? It was, it's really funny because you, you just said, how do you do that? Like, I'm a creative person. I'm bad at math. And I'm like over here, like you guys. I suck at math. <laughs> I'm really bad at the math. Secrets oh, out. Yeah, secrets <laughs> out. Okay. I was on, I was recording a video to like training for one of my clients. And I was like doing this little like example. And then I'm like 18 minus seven. And then I'm like, you can't think. I was, like, I'm like freaking out because I'm recording the video and I'm like, it's going to be recorded. And I'm like, I can't, is it nine? I don't know, whatever. And then I moved on. I cannot do math in my head. And then yep. I'm like, minus seven is 11 you know like is it 11 foxy i don't, I don't know. know i don't know well it's so funny so one of them so i i've told you i'm a teacher and one of the first um times i graded something like it was like a project so i had a really close co-worker and we actually taught not this class together but it was like an a day b day so i had them one day she had them the next day so she would always joke with me anytime we had to do math she was like don't touch it let me handle this you make it look pretty. And I was like, girl, you got it. Like it was hysterical. I gave like all the kids ended up failing the first time I graded this. And she was like, how, how did you do this? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I just pressed buttons and they all got 33s and I don't know what I did. <laughs> so, it's yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, when you said 18 minus seven, I was like, I, I, I don't even know. And I'm embarrassed that I didn't even know that off the top of my head. And so bad at math in my head. It's like really embarrassing. My and my husband works in accounting, and sometimes, like when we go out to eat, and I'm like, "How much do I put as the?" As the <laughs> he goes, "Gina, are you kidding me?" Like he's like, he's baffled by that. But the thing is, I will say, I'm really, really bad at like I would say arithmetic in my head, but I'm I very much understand how math works. I understand algebra really well. I understand the order of operations. So 
for me, for example, making spreadsheets is my jam. Like I can make a spreadsheet work. I can make all the equations work, um, but I just can't do it in my head. But you know, but what? you can figure okay. out how the spreadsheet will do the math. So yeah. you're a step ahead. It's okay. <laughs> also, we all have a calculator on our phone, people. Like, like, oh my god! Like, do you remember when we would have to do the calculator in active parts of the exams? I would always get. I would be like seven, and I'd be so frustrated because I was like, I have a calculator. I don't need to do this. Ridiculous. Although I guess now, like, I probably should not have leaned so heavily on a calculator because now I'm like really just. I seem so dumb when I try to do math. People are like, seriously, like seriously, and I'm like. Sorry. <laughs> Don't think that way. So I want to back up a little bit because you had briefly mentioned that you were an art school student. So for me, again, one of those, and I think it's just the way that, you know, we are so wired to think of like, how does an art school graduate end up as a financial coach? And so I am just so excited to dive into the non-linear path that I'm assuming has been your career. So talk to me about art school. Why art school? Where did you go? What did you study? Give us all the details. Yeah. Okay. So I might need to go a little further back than your question. Um, yes. Perfect. I was a high school student. I was in musical theater very heavily. I think through four years of high school, I did 14 shows. Um, I was like always in a show. It was like every um, like spring, summer, spring, summer, fall, winter, every single season I was in a show because the show took about three months to prepare for. So I did a lot of theater. Um, and I, when I was about a senior in high school, I was like, I'm gonna be a Broadway star. Like, I'm gonna be on Broadway. That's it, that's my path. And my dad was really pushing me to apply to colleges because he, like, like I said, he's a lawyer. He's like very much um, education, like he values education really highly. And so he was pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. And I was like, I don't really want to, I don't think. But I ended up applying to a couple places, although secretly, I don't think I actually finished the application. Like, I don't think I told my dad that, but I'm pretty sure I never submitted an application. But I like started the application process. I did not take my SATs on principle. I was like, I think this is a dumb test and it's not going to tell me anything I don't know. So I'm not going to take true. it. My dad was pissed. Oh, um, I bet. And um, because, and I think the reason I didn't take my SATs, I didn't finish any of the applications was because I was convinced I was gonna take a gap year and I was gonna move abroad. And my dad was like, no, you're not, you're gonna go to college. And I'm like, okay, okay, dad, let's see. Um, that's what you think. <laughs> yeah, that's what you think, exactly. Like shitty little teenager. Um, but I ended up doing that. I got a job on the internet with an Italian family being an au pair, which is like, if for those who don't know, an au pair is like a nanny. It's less formal, but the person lives with the family. And they work like a couple, like I think it was like five days a week for a couple hours. And um, you get room and board. And I got 100 euros a week. So I was making basically like $135 a week for um, a year while I lived with this family. And... Um, because I was like, you know what, I'm not going to go to college. I don't think college is right for me. I was like very anti-college and I was very pro-Italy at the moment. <laughs> and so while I was there, I was like, cool, this is awesome. Oh, by the way, if, if the immigration services is listening, please turn off the audio right now because I did not have a visa. I was there illegally for like seven months because a tourist visa only lasts three months. And so 
totally there illegally, like working, it was all a mess. Um, but then I decided I want to stay. Like I really like Italy. I wasn't done after my first year, but I was like, you know what? I don't really want to live with this family anymore. It's hard living with another family. Yeah. Um, I want to get my own apartment. And then I was thinking to myself, okay, how am I going to make this work? Because I'm illegal and I, I can't like get a job. Um, so I thought, and I was like, okay, my parents have always said when I'm in school, they would support me. So I'm like, I just need to go to school. So I found a school that I liked in Italy. Um, it was called Lorenzo de Medici, which is a, um, a school that it's like a, they have a, uh, what's it called? They're, they have a partner school, Maris College in New York. So it's accredited in the United States because they have this connection with a college in New York, which is, I'm like, by the way, I did not premeditate all this. It just like ended up being working out for me. This is so sick though, because it's like everybody's, I think, secret like dream is to take this gap year. And I love the way you just, you figured out how to make it happen. You found where to live. You were still getting money. And then you're like, oh, I'll just go to school here. Duh. <laughs> like, and it's so funny because it ended up being so much cheaper than going to school in the United States. Like, I believe it. Even though it was a private school, it was like, I think it was $10,000 for one year, not one semester, <gasps> one year. So I'm like, you guys, this is like, and it's a private school. So it's private school education for basically like community college pricing. Yeah. Um, and I, I went the art track. So I did a one year intense certification program um, for graphic design and visual communication. And um, it was awesome. I loved it. Um, and then I decided, you know, my grandparents are getting older. I want to spend more time with them. And so I think it's time to move back to California. Um, and I wanted to be in the, in the San Francisco Bay Area where I'm from. And so there's only like a couple art schools in the area. I ended up only applying to one. I didn't even apply to multiple schools. I was like, I'm going to go to California College of the Arts and that's it. And I got in, I think I applied in like May. I got in in June and I started in like September. I'm telling you, I don't know how all these things fell into place. Cause I'm like, so now looking back, I'm like, everything could have gone wrong. Like the adult version of you is like, what was I doing? <laughs> what, a what a hot mess. And I didn't even know if my credits would transfer until I got into the school and I started and they were like, oh, you guys have, this school has a affiliation with the school in New York. So your credits are going to transfer. And by the fact that the classes were taught in English, if they were taught in Italian, we would not have given you credit. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, oh God, your dad must have hated your guts during this moment. I'm, I'm like thinking of my own father being like, you, you can't just do this forever. And me being like, no, 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 I, I got it. I have it all figured out. Don't worry about it, dad. By the way, can you write the check for me to go to the school? <laughs> Oh my god what a mess what a mess what a mess it was like but it was really fun so if you're in high school listening to this i recommend a gap year because like again if you think back mm -hmm. i was gonna be on broadway i would have gone to school for performing arts yeah. i would have gone down the theater track had i not taken this gap year i wouldn't have taken the time to really figure out what i wanted to study and then by the time i got into college i was like I had a really high grade point average. I was like acing all my classes, um, which was a stark difference from me in high school where I honestly barely graduated high school because yeah. 
I never wanted to do my homework because I thought homework was stupid. So, and I know you're a teacher. So yeah, I was going to say, you sound like every student that I've ever had. who's like, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I know. Well, I, here was my, this was my rationale. I was like, I am getting A's and B's on every single one of your tests and quizzes. I'm not mm-hmm. doing the homework because I, yeah. I can prove that I know it and I'm busy in theater. So I'm just not going to do the homework. And in high school, homework is a huge part of your grade. So I barely graduated. And then by the time I got to college, I was like, I finally took the time, like I said, to figure out what I wanted to do. And then I was like, oh, I want to be here. I want to do the work. Um, yeah. So it was a huge difference between high school well, and college me. I completely agree with that because I can even recall like, like, I think as soon as you get to college, the dynamic switches because then you're at a point where for the majority, yes, there is that big, you know, universal push for us to go to college, but it's also our choice. Like we all chose to be at this. I mean, most of us chose to be at this university, right? Um, And many of us choose not to continue after a year or whatever. And so it's interesting because the dynamic flips where it becomes less of, I have to be here versus I'm paying to be here. I'm choosing to be here. And I have some type of goal for my life that I might not know just yet. But I will also say to your point, my best friend went to, um, went straight to college after high school, ended up having to take a gap semester, like right before her senior year, I think. And she says now, if she would have taken a gap year between her senior year of high school and her freshman year of college, it would have looked so different from her because similar to what you said, there are a lot of things she figured out, not too late because it's never too late to switch, but financially, I'm sure she would have wished, you know, she would have done something sooner rather than later. So I, I agree with you. And it's a conversation Chase and I have had of like, if we do get married and have kids of like, I would rather them, if we have the money, like I would rather them go travel for a year and just see a little bit more of life before settling down. And this is coming from a teacher who also went straight into college, who I was like a 3.9 GPA. Like I was a nut when it came to school. So, and I'm like, here I am. I'm like in 10 years or whenever I have children, I'm going to be preaching from as soon as they can walk to be like, go see the world, screw school, like go do what you want. Totally. Totally. So talk to me about what happens after you graduate from, from art school. Mm. Yes. Okay. I'm living in San Francisco, one of the most expensive cities in the world. I'm living um, in a two bedroom apartment with three people. One person's living in the living room um, and I have the private bedroom in the back and I'm spending $1,500 a month for my bedroom in the apartment because the apartment is like $4,500 for a two bedroom because San Francisco. Okay. And bless you. Oh, I, that. I hope you can edit that out. Anyways, <laughs> um, then, so I'm spending a shit ton of money. Um, I, in my junior year of college, we were required to get a summer internship at like an actual design firm in order to graduate. That was one of the requirements for my program. So I got an internship through a teacher at Nokia which is a really common brand that a lot of people know for their cell phones. But by the time I had gotten there, they had sold off the cell phone division and it was actually more of a B2B company doing, um, they like, I didn't know this, but Nokia like owns like the networks of the internet around the world, which is like kind of crazy. Okay. No, I know that at all. I was working at Nokia as an intern and I had an awesome boss who basically like 
I was full time during the summer. And then she was like, can you just stay? And I'm like, yeah, but I have school. And so she was like, it's okay. You can work two days a week and like, or however your schedule basically allows. So I never really had a set schedule. I just basically would tell them like, oh, it's spring break. I can work full time this week. Or I would say, hey, it's finals. I can't even come in this week. And they were just really flexible with me. Um, and I ended up staying for two years. So from junior year, all junior year, all of senior year, I stayed with Nokia. And then um, all under the guise of they're going to offer me a job when this is done. Like they're going to bring me on full time. And I graduated. I graduated in December. I graduated a semester late because of the credit transfer problem from before. And um, and so it's December or January. Everyone is back in the office after the holidays. And I talked to my manager and she was like, we don't have a position. We don't have the budget, but you can stay on as an intern. About two weeks after they told me that, they, there was another person with the same position as me. She was more senior. She was um, a contractor. They hired her full time. And so I was like, so you did have the position you just, or you did have the budget. You just decided to hire this other person instead, which it's, you know, it's, their prerogative, but I was kind of really like hurt that she just told me flat out they didn't have the budget instead of saying, we don't have the budget for you right now for a junior person, which would have been fine. Anyways, that was kind of crushing because I'd spent so much time there. And I was really like, basically for, I spent that much time there because I was like, I will have this job when I graduate. So when I didn't have the job, I was like, okay, I'm, Lucky that Obamacare passed because I can stay on my parents' insurance for a little while longer. And um, I stayed at Nokia as an intern for six months while I looked for my next job. And during that exploration, I was really, um, I don't know why, but I was fixated on working in the financial services. I was like, I want to help make people's lives better by eliminating the stress that finances creates in our lives. And um, all the while, by the way, like, so that's like professional version of the story. All the while in the background, I, like I said, I'm spending a shit ton of money on rent. I think I was making like $3,000 a month as an intern, which is really good. Like San Francisco pays well, but I'm also spending $1,500 a month just on rent. So 50% right. of my income was going to rent, which is not recommended people <laughs> because it's like 50% just for rent. But then I had utilities, internet, my right. phone, car, gas, insurance, da, 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 da. And like, and on top of that, then I was spending a lot of money on groceries because I was like wine and cheese every day, like basically shelling it out. I bought a whole new wardrobe. I was constantly shopping and like, I did the whole like 60 billion steps, skincare routine. And I was like, I graduated. I have a job. Like I was just like spending all my money. Um, so not the greatest. I, I, luckily I wasn't going into any debt and, um, like I was still paying off my credit card every month, mm -hmm. but I was spending all my money, a hundred percent of my money. Was yeah. That's what I was going to say. Even though you're not in debt, I imagine you probably had nothing left over by the time, you know, you got paid. I'm sure it was like gone within days. Absolutely. And it's kind of that like, Oh, it's payday. Like, yes, I'm going to spend all my money. And then you're like, and it, this is so funny because every single month without fail, when I would get my paycheck, I would put $500 into my savings account. And I'd be like, this month will be different. This month I'm going to save. And then I'd be like, I feel awesome about myself. Good job. Pat myself on the back. And then I would like go about the weeks. And then like, you know, the 31st of the month, my credit card bill would like knock on my door and be like, 
hey bitch um i'm here and i'd be like great so then i'd go back to my savings account and pull that 500 dollars out yeah. and my credit card bill every month and every month i would tell myself this month is going to be different yeah. but if i didn't like i didn't change any single behavior so i don't know why the hell that month would be different um so i was kind of just a hot mess of really just spending a hundred percent of my income and as a single woman with a disposable income it's so easy to do that it's, and it's so easy and it's so easy to tell yourself like it's okay like i'm young like i don't need savings i um i have my whole life to save mm -hmm. but the reality is the the, the what is it called the opportunity cost of not saving when you're young is enormous if you save like I, I'm not going to get the numbers right here. So anyone listening, don't quote me on this, but it's like, if you save $200 a month, let's say starting at like 22, um, you could have a couple, probably multiple million dollars by the time you retire, if you're investing it in, in investments. Now, if you were to not save any money until like 40 and then you start in order to end at the same place, you have to save like a couple thousand dollars a month. Yeah. So it's yeah. just like the, the, opportunity cost of not saving while I was young. I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking about like, I'm having fun in my life and I have forever to save later if I want. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of where I was at. Going back to the professional version of Gina, I was looking for a job and I approached into it, the makers of TurboTax and QuickBooks because I had used TurboTax for the first time when I filed my taxes. And by the way, this is not plugged by them or sponsored by them, but I went up to them at a job fair and I was like, I wanna work for you guys, hello, my name is Gina. And they were like, um, who are you? And they were also like, wait, you know about us? Because like nobody knows about Intuit apparently. And I'm like, yeah, I'm obsessed. I wanna work here. They're and probably I'm like, who is this chick? You're like, no, I just did my taxes. I'm basically a pro, you need to hire me right now. <laughs> I was like, I love what you guys do. I love that you guys help. Like you made taxes. I was so afraid of doing my taxes. You made it easy for me. And I was just obsessed. And I was like, I'm going to work here. So I bothered um, the person at the job fair for a couple weeks. And then he introduced me to someone on the design research team. I bothered her for a while. And eventually they were like, so, hey, lady, that's been bothering us. We got a, a job rec for an early career, like a recent grad which is like basically Intuit has a program where for the first year of their salary, the, the grad program will pay for your salary. So each team gets like one headcount of a new grad, which incentivizes teams to hire young people versus hiring at a more senior level. Um, and so I got one of those positions because they were like, they got the position and they immediately thought of me because I was just bugging them for so long. Um, and I started my career at Intuit at QuickBooks as a design researcher, which is very much also like creative design and analytical research. So it's yeah. kind of the meshes of those two sides of my brain. Um, and I am still working there actually. I am still in my nine to five in my design research role. And in the last three years since I've been there, I've interviewed over 300 small business owners and accountants all on their business finance and accounting because like I, in my job, I help make QuickBooks better by interviewing people who are using QuickBooks to see what is working, what's not working. Um, so yeah, that's like a very long version of what happened to me after college to where I am today. I, I think it's so fascinating because 
you from the get-go, it's like you are a very, like, to me, I just, I think the way that you are is so fascinating and so amazing because I very rarely meet somebody who has both of these sides that they can tap into. Um, and so I, I, I'm always just so intrigued by that. And part of it, I think is like, oh my gosh, I wish I had that. Right. It's like that there's so much like admiration that comes with that. You also said something that really, um, stuck with me. It was, you know, well, why am I saving? And I had the same conversation with my dad, probably, in the, I mean, I feel like we're still in the, like the thick of COVID, but really in the beginning. So let's, I, I probably April when, you know, the unemployment claims started to skyrocket. And I remember looking at him and I was like, this is why you have savings. Like this is the rainy day, like on the big, big scale, right? This is why you have a rainy day fund. And because I had the same thing, you know, up until Saturday, like I was living at home, you know, I still saved, but I, there was always that part of me where I would say to my mom, like, wow, why do I have to do it? Like, I know I need to do this, but like, why? Like, I don't know what I'm saving for. Um, and you know, she would say, she was like, God forbid something happens with your car. God forbid something happens. Your position gets cut. Like, so it was all these, oh my gosh, moments where, you know, at 23, I'm like, that's not going to happen. A pandemic, that's not going to happen. And I've been very lucky to have, you know, kept my job. Um, but you know, it was one of those things where I was like, shit, this is why, this is why you put money back because God forbid something like this happens. And, you know, even on the smaller scale of, you know, your, something goes wrong with your car or, you know, there's a leak, whatever there may be. Right. And so I had that question and I feel like it's a big question. Many of us have is like, well, what, what am I saving for? Why am I saving? Especially at 23, I was like, I can't see big picture yet. Like I can still barely see what next week looks like. So, you know, it's hard to think of retirement, Gabby, when it's like this version of me is still trying to make sure she gets to work on time and keeps kids like alive in the classroom. <laughs> so, Totally. I actually, I have been working through with my one-on-one -on -one clients this exact problem of like, it's a motivation problem kind of, and also like a like I need justification for why I'm going to save, right? It's, and like, God forbid XYZ happen is not that great of a motivation. No. As we know, like humans, especially like humans are very now focused and we have a hard time doing things that we know is good for us, but won't show the benefits in the future. Like exercising, it's right. really like hard to convince like your brain sometimes, your psychology. Um, so what I actually teach my clients is we are not saving to save. We are saving to spend. And when you save to spend, it's a lot more exciting <laughs> because, and I don't care what you spend it on. I don't care what you're saving to spend on. And I'm never going to judge you for that. But I really push all my clients to be extremely, extremely specific about what they're saving to spend on. Um, and the only two, um, al not alternatives, the only two exceptions to that is I force my clients to have an emergency fund of at least three months. And that is very much like you're saving to save. But once you have that chunk, then you don't have to like save it anymore. Then you can move okay. on and then retirement, which is also saving to spend though, because it's one of the most expensive things that you will ever purchase for yourself in your entire life is a retirement. So, um, so yeah, I'm always pushing people like, don't just tell me you want to save more money. What do you, why? And I kind of break it down into three categories. Um, it's what do I want to have? So I want to buy a house. I want to buy a car. I want to buy a new wardrobe. What do you want to do? I want to travel every year, or I want to take a year off and start my startup. I want to start a business. Um, you know, it could be whatever. I want to create my artist studio in my backyard. 
What do you want to do? Well, that's have. Anyways, you get it. And then what do you want to be? That one's the most elusive one, but like I, I always start with one day I want to be retired. Like, let's be honest. Like, yeah. I love what I do, but I want to be retired one day. And the reality is sometimes it's not your decision whether you keep working or not. That's a lot of young people say like, oh, I never want to retire. And I'm like, that's okay, but you may not have that option. Um, my father was diagnosed with cancer when I was young and he did really well for a really long time. Um, but eventually he was forced to retire because his illness took over. That was not his choice. He would have kept working. Luckily he had saved for retirement. So it's not always your choice. Um, but also like, I think we all want to live it up one day and like be on the beach with a margarita. I want to do that when I'm 50. I don't want to wait until I'm 80. But, um, but yeah, saving to spend is really, really my mantra for people because yeah, I've had so many people come to me and just be like, I want to save more money. And I'm like, well, why haven't you saved in the past? And they're like, well, I always found it hard. And I'm like, well, you need to be specific about what you want. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if you have the money, that goal can change the money you have and you can decide, oh, I don't actually want to travel every year. Actually, I want to start a charitable organization. The money can be used for different things. But in order to save, I really recommend, I like naming what is the thing that you want. Yeah. And I, I think it's incredibly important to get specific because then you're like me and I'm sure many of your other clients who are like, I don't know why, I, I know I'm supposed to be doing this. The world tells me I need to have this put back, but it's hard for me to not see, like tangibly I can see, right, the amount of money in my savings. But to me, it's like, well, why? You know, and so I, I really like the way that you break it down because I think it speaks to what many of us struggle with, which is, you know, having that determination and that willpower to do it, but realizing that there is a much greater purpose once you can discover your why behind, you know, putting that money back every month. Um, and I also really like that you pointed out, you know, once you have your, you said three to six months or just three months saved? I'd say minimum three. It depends okay. on your job security, stuff like that. Okay. So minimum three months save. And you say at that point, right? Like you have it, you don't have to focus on that anymore. Maybe that's when you move your savings or you move that money that was allocated towards your rainy day fund into an investment, um, or something like that. Right? No. So I this definitely is why you're on here. <laughs> so this what is why I you're here. What I mean is you, let's say that your three month rainy day fund is $10,000. Okay. You have that chunk of cash. Um, and that can be in your checking account. I don't recommend it. It could be in a savings account. If you do put it in a savings account, I recommend a high yield savings account, which pays you much more interest. Um, but I absolutely would never recommend putting that cash into uh, the stock market or into investments. The reason is the stock market is very volatile, especially in the short term. In the long term, the stock market has proven to always pretty much go up. But in the short term, it goes up and down. It's crazy. Um, so if you put that $10,000 that you put for your emergency fund into the stock market, the stock market tanks, your investments drop to $3,000 and then you have an emergency, right. then you're forced to sell your stock at a loss because you need that money and you can't wait for the stock market to recover. So you're putting yourself in a really bad position. So I always recommend with your emergency fund. So again, this 10 K example, have it in a high yield savings account and then, and then forget it exists. Then if you have an emergency, like your car muffler, I don't know what cars do, Whatever. you can pull from your emergency fund if you need it, 
um, if you can't cover it with your like normal you know cash flow each month. Um, and then I would say put that money back once you can. So if I pull three thousand dollars from it to fix my car, replenish I, it. Replenish it exactly. Okay. Um, but really, the emergency fund is great too if you lose your job because it helps you not like go into freak out mode. And then you know, okay, I have three months of my expenses covered for sure. And I can spend my time like finding the right next job for me um, without like, you know, defaulting on all my loans, without getting evicted, without all that stuff. So that's what it's really for, which is why I always recommend having it in pretty much in cash. That's very easy to like easily accessible. Okay, so I should have rephrased that. What I meant by that is say every month and we'll stick with the 10,000. So I, I dedicate $500 a month to my rainy day fund, to my savings. I hit that 10,000 and I leave it. Can I then, is it smart to take that 500 that would have been used for it to then put that in a stock or to put that in an investment? Totally, 100%. So once that's funded and let's say you were putting $500 a month, then that's $500 extra in your budget, it's extra cash flow. And then you can decide what is your next goal. So for some people it's investing. For some people they want to keep it in cash because they know that they want to buy a new car. So they're saving up for that new car. Um, a lot of people, uh, one of the most common, I think pretty much every single person I've worked with has had um, buying a house as a line item goal for them. So it starts going towards the down payment fund um, but it can also go into retirement accounts. It can go into investments. Um, there's a whole, once you get into investing, there's a whole strategy and like kind of like a decision tree matrix thing that needs to happen to figure out where you put the investment money. But um, okay. yeah, that $500 extra a month can go into your next goal for sure. Okay. So we haven't touched on this yet. And I honestly should have opened with it because it's been like, getting at me every time I see it. You saved $100,000 by the time you were 24, $400,000 by the time you were 26, and your goal is to hit that millionaire status by 30. First of all, I just want to like have everybody have a moment of silence for how freaking badass that is and just, it's amazing. Like I don't even have words for it. That is absolutely amazing. How did you do it? And I know that's a very big question, but the basic strategies of how you, as somebody who you said were spending all of your money at one point. How did you make such a drastic switch? Yeah, so let me start with the elephant in the room, which is the big chunk of privilege that I have, um, not only as a like white passing woman, uh, a woman in tech in the Bay Area, but also I graduated with no debt. So if you're over here on the other side of that line comparing yourself to me and being like, what the hell, just know, that I fully acknowledge I started with a huge head start. And I know so many people graduate with debt. Um, so number one, I didn't graduate with debt. So I was pretty much at the gate. Well, you heard the story, like for six months, basically, I was just like going hog wild with my money spending it all. And I think when I got the job at Intuit, that's when the shift happened. Because now it was like, I think it was just the fact that I had so many money things to think about. like. Yeah. Now I had health insurance, so I didn't have to stay on my parents' plan. And then I had a signing bonus. Um, it wasn't big. And honestly, taxes took away most of it, but I had a signing bonus. I had like a salary that was like way higher than I had ever been used to. And I was given RSUs. RSUs stand for restricted stock units. And um, oftentimes a company will give you a chunk of stock 
from their company as an incentive for you to stay because so I was given 181 shares of Intuit, but I didn't get access to those. They vested every year for three years, I would get a chunk. So on my first year anniversary, I got the first chunk. On the second mm. year anniversary, the second and the third, I got the third chunk. Um, and so I was like, okay, what are all these things, these like money things I have to figure out? And I, through doing that process, through like going through the offer letter, through negotiating, and then through like setting all that stuff up, I started realizing like how destructive my money habits had been. And I like looked back and even though it wasn't very long, it was six months of being out of school because I was, I graduated in December. I got the job at Intuit in June. So I had six months and I looked at my savings account and I'm like, okay, I don't have a single dollar in my savings account. Like I, I should have saved more in six months than I have. And so it really pushed me to rethink my habits. Um, and then the fact that I was speaking every day with business owners about their business finances and accounting, it's on the brain all the time. So I started creating enormous shifts. The first shift, um, and the one thing that I highly recommend if you struggle with saving was I started hiding money from myself. So just like put it where I can't see it. And what is the best place to hide money from yourself? a 401k because you literally like can't take that money out. It's so hard to take that money out. So what I did was when I set up my 401k, when I started the job, I set it out to max it out every year. Now the max, I think at the time was 18,500 every year or so the, the maximum that you're allowed to put in every year goes up. Now it's at 19,500. Um, but I set to max that out. I was like, put that money where I can't use it. And then the second thing I did was I started my Roth IRA, which is another retirement account, but it's a personal retirement account. Um, it's not through, you can have it even if you're not in a normal, you know, nine to five kind of place. Um, and that now has a max of 6,500 a year. So that was another place I was like, hide the money, put it somewhere else. Um, and then I started investing really, really young. Um, my dad taught me about investing. He kind of like took me through the whole thing. And I just, I think with my signing bonus that year, and then with my uh, tax return, I had a really big tax return because I messed up my taxes, um, which by the way, having a big tax return is not the goal. Um, anyways, I had a big tax return and I like started that to seed my investment fund with like, I think overall it ended up being around $10,000 that I started with. Um, and then I put an automatic transaction every single month. I put, I don't know if it was 500 or a thousand, but it was like a good amount of money that wow. I was automatically putting into the investment account. Because for me, I was like, I, I didn't have a clear goal in my mind. I was still single, still living in that apartment with uh, two other people in a two bedroom apartment. Um, and I didn't have clear direction for my life. So I was like, I'm just going to put it into investment fund yeah. because I want to, I'm already maxing out all my retirement funds. So the next step is to do a taxable brokerage. And basically through that, that it was mainly my capital that got me to hundred K just like drastically reducing my expenses and then pushing all my money into the investment accounts. Um, and then what was the next part? Oh, then from hundred K to 400 K you're like, Whoa, that's a huge jump. It's incredible. It's, 
investment returns. Like I still continue to put a lot of money into my investment accounts, but investment returns have started to like, I'm starting to see it pay off. Um, also, it means that I'm, I have a lot of risk. So when COVID hit and then everything went to crap in March, I lost over $10,000 in the stock market in like one day, but I didn't actually lose it because I didn't sell. So it's just the balance of my account goes up right. and down. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of the, the story. And I just got really frugal. Oh, and then another piece of privilege that came into play. I met my husband, we moved in together. So my rent went down because now I'm like sharing it with someone else in a normal apartment. That's not <laughs> two other people and one person living in the living room. And, um, and then we got married. So then combining finances, um, is on it. Like we're saving on two salaries on two right. salaries. So it is bound to increase. That's why. And the reason, by the way, I'm being really honest and open with you guys is I don't want you to compare yourself to me and just feel like, Oh my God, that's impossible. Yeah. Because the reality is I had a lot of things stacked in my favor. Um, I always tell people though, I've had, it's, it's very interesting. I'm going to do a little sidebar. Yeah. I have a lot of clients who had some kind of privilege or the other, um, from all different types of backgrounds, say like I had a client recently who inherited about $30,000 from her grandfather who passed away. And she, um, and it, she got different chunks over time and, and mm. she saved it. And when we were talking, she was like, I don't feel like I, like, I only saved it because I got, I got it, you know, like I only saved it because like I had this chunk of money coming in and I was telling her, I'm like, you could have just as easily spent it. Or I have another client who's living at home and she's like, I'm only able to save because I'm living at home. And I'm like, yeah, but you could have just as easily spent it. So we need to acknowledge our circumstances. We need to acknowledge our privilege. And then we also can give, we can still give ourselves credit for the good decisions we've made and hold ourselves accountable to the bad decisions we've made. But, um, so that's my little sidebar on like, I, I've noticed that women are very like quick to say it, it wasn't because of me. Like I don't deserve the credit mm -hmm. and yes, you don't deserve the credit for the situation you were put in, but you do deserve the credit for the decision that you made after the fact. So I, I think it's, I, I want to thank you for your vulnerability and for your ability to be specific because that's what people want to hear about. Right. And so, you know, I, I think one, like for you even to say, here are my privileges. Like, let me address the elephant in the room. Here's why I was able to do X. Right. And I have been very honest on the podcast of like, I stayed at home for a year and a half because I knew. And now after moving, there is no way in hell I would have been able to move the way I did or in a place that was not disgusting had I not sucked it up. And it wasn't, I have a beautiful family, you know, so it wasn't an awful thing for me to do, but it is a hard thing when you see all of your girlfriends who are, you know, living in these cute apartments in Charlotte and doing their thing. And you're like, I got dinner with my mom. <laughs> but, you know, I said this earlier, I said this to my boyfriend today of like, had we not, had I not taken that year and a half, I wouldn't have been able to furnish this place. You know, we did it. So that's another privilege to acknowledge is, you know, living together, we've been able to split everything basically down, um, down, you know, 50, 50, which is great. And like you said, being married, you know, you guys have 
two forms of income. You have, you know, you're splitting everything. So, and you know, even this place, I wouldn't be able to afford $1,200 in rent, but I can afford 615, you know, and that math is because there's a, a garbage fee. Don't think I'm dumb. Um, so, <laughs> you know, that th those are little things that I've thought of a lot. And so like you, how you said, you know, you were able to invest 500 to a thousand dollars in your Roth IRA. I put a hundred and you guys know as a teacher, my salary is not what um, a Silicon Valley designers is going to be right. Mine, I'm right at 40,000 working where I do. So for me right now, it's doable to put a hundred away. And so I think for you guys to have two different examples of people in different fields doing still saving, it's really important to see that you can make it work no matter what you just probably have to be very frugal and you have to be specific to your own life. Yes. Can I like just plus one that 40 times? Yes, we have absolutely. A um, <laughs> I, uh, two examples just came into my mind because I'm right now working with a woman who makes $30,000 a year okay. and she just saved $3,000 in a couple months. Oh, amazing. And I'm like over the moon proud of her. And she, like specifically told me she has a big spending, she called it a spending problem. She really loves clothing, jewelry, makeup, all that stuff. She like really enjoys buying that. Um, so we used the save to spend model. She saved enough money to buy her new wardrobe without feeling guilty. Yeah. Um, and she just saved $3,000. Now here's the kicker. She just got let go. And um, she's luckily living at home with her parents. She's a post-grad. She just got let go and she sent me this email basically saying, I just hit my emergency fund number because of your program. And if I hadn't have done that, first of all, I would be in a much worse mental health space now because of my layoff. And she was like, and now I feel comfortable taking the time I need to find a role that I'll actually love instead of taking any part-time hourly job that I can get my hands on because she was like, if I didn't have my emergency fund, I would be freaked out. And she's making $30,000 a year. So that's one example. I've worked with people making over $120,000 a year who are spending everything, okay? So your income, there is a certain limit where your just expenses and your income are not aligned where you can save right now. But for the most part, I will say, it doesn't matter how much money you make. Um, it's a lot about your habits. And even if you're putting $20 away, that is still valid. Like don't feel like there's a threshold you need to meet. Otherwise you shouldn't be saving at all. There is this kind of all or nothing mentality that people seem to have. Um, we have it about fitness again as well. Yeah. I eat a cookie in the morning. Forget it. It's a cheat day. The whole day shot. Like, well, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> we still have time. I want to talk about tangible, tangible things that we can cut, right? Because I'm sure, you know, you don't want to skip out on your groceries. You want to make sure that you're eating. Like what are some, some like very easy things that, you know, we in our twenties can cut back on. Yeah. Like those, those excess things. I have two categories for my budget. I have obligations and optional. Um, and most things are optional. So my obligations are rent, utilities, groceries, gas, car insurance, health insurance. Like basically think to yourself as you're going through your list, what are the things if I, if I don't pay for them, bad things will happen. Like I'll get evicted. My lights will get turned off. I will die of starvation. Um, I will like 
my credit score will tank because I didn't pay for my credit card. So think of like the things that have like the worst repercussions. Those are op obligations. Then optional is literally everything else. Every subscription that you have, clothing, um, bathroom, prop, beauty products, optional. And you know what? I'm going to say optional, but like for some people, they actually are an obligation. So it's up to you to decide where, what. Take it, take it as it fits you, guys. Exactly. exactly. Um, cable, if you have cable still, um, any, like literally anything that you spend money on home yep. goods is a big one. Amazon pretty much is all like anything you buy on Amazon is most likely optional unless you're buying your groceries. Um, eating out is a, probably the number one problem area that I see for most people. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, pretty much everything else. So what I would say is I don't have specific categories that I'm going to tell you to cut because I'm all about saving while still living the life you love. Yeah. So you're going to know what's important to you. I could tell you, cancel all your subscriptions, but you know what? Netflix might be the only thing getting you through the week. So keep your Netflix if you want it. Mm -hmm. um, but what I will say is split up all the things you spend money on into obligations. And then don't worry about the obligations. You can't change those easily. You can move, downsize, et cetera, but less, less um, opportunity there. Look at your optional stuff and ask yourself, are all of these things important to me? Do all, kind of like Marie Kondo, does it spark joy? If no, you can stand to get rid of it yes. and save that money for something that will spark joy. Um, so, so that's what I really recommend. And for it, that will look different for everybody. I have a client who spends $500 on dietary supplements. And you know what? That's what sparks joy for them. I don't like dietary supplements it would be gone on my budget but for them it's really important so you are the ultimate you have the ultimate decision um but i recommend that you actually like don't give yourself it's very easy to give yourself an out and be like well it's really important even if it's like kind of not so be you know be strict with yourself but go through that process and you'll find what you so I went through something very similar this past week. Um, last Tuesday, I got a notification on my phone from my bank that um, money was being withdrawn and they thought it was fraudulent activity. It was. So my, yeah, it was awful. They took like $2,000 from my savings to my checking and then made a phone call transfer. Like Western Union took like 150 of it. So I was like, oh my God, thank you so much for leaving me some of it, you assholes. So... Um, anyway, so I was in, of course, like panic mode a little bit because not, this had never happened to me before. And it was like, I don't know. I, I felt the need, like I needed to take care of it now, obviously. Right. So I get on the phone and you know, they, we have to shut down my accounts. We cancel my cards, etc. So one of the first things I did once I got off the phone and we had, you know, gotten all the investigation stuff started was I needed to make a list of the things I would need to up update my card information with, which also I'm kind of skeptical of that now because I don't know if I'm really going to keep my card like on file on any website because I think that's she, the woman I spoke to thinks that's how it got, it happened. So be weary. And I was also in the process of, you know, I was buying stuff online because of COVID for the apartment. So I was shopping at places like West Elm and, you know, I don't really shop at Walmart. So I was like buying stuff from Walmart that, you know, so it was all these places that I had never really used before. But anyway, so I'm a little bit like weary to go like to put my card in. But anyway, so I was like, all right, I need to look at my subscriptions. I'm looking at the list right now. It's on my laptop. And I was like, 
you need to check yourself. Like this is ridiculous. And so for me, it was like a forced audit where I really, I had to look at it because th that card doesn't exist anymore. But I was like, wow, this adds up home girl. Like this is not a good thing that you're doing. And especially now that I'm on my, not on my own, but I'm not living at home anymore. I need to be more conscious of these things. And so I'm trying to look at the positive and, you know, I will get that money back. So I'm hoping that I can see this as like, it was an opportunity for me to like reflect on how I'm spending. But so I have a lot of things that I need to be canceling because a lot of them are optional and I don't really use them. So, I mean, it, it was, it was a, it was quite a wake up call for me. One that I didn't love to have, but one that I needed to have. Yeah. I, and you know, I am like, it's so funny because as you were talking to that, I'm like thinking about my subscriptions, subscriptions, yeah. man, they get you. They're like so they smart do. marketing. Um, but I'm already thinking I need to write it down. I have one subscription that I've been needing to cancel for like six months, probably mm -hmm. it's, um, a fitness app and I put it into the, like that, you know, Apple store or whatever, and it's been running and yeah. it's like $20 a month. And then I don't use it. And I say with fitness too, it's hard. Cause you're like, I'm going to be good, whatever the hell that means. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of like these funny reminders too, when you see it on your credit card, you're like, shit, I forgot to cancel it. Ah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting mad at the why for charging me during COVID. Like, and I was like, it, it's not their fault. It's you call and cancel. And I, I didn't call and cancel. And every time that $43 got taken, I was like, crap, I didn't do it again. And my boyfriend and I were, we were going back and forth and we were like, crap, we got charged again. <laughs> it's like, it's our fault. We're the idiots in this case. It's not the why. It's, it's really honestly a genius, um, business model of subscriptions. And it's funny because like, I have had that exact same moment, crap, I forgot to cancel it again, but yeah. then you feel like, well, I'm not going to cancel it right now. I'll do it later. And then you don't do it. And then they can charge you again. And then it's just like this. And then it becomes this, like, I don't know about you or listeners, but like, for me, it becomes this like mounting guilt. And every month that little guilt adds and adds yeah. and adds. And for some psychological reason, it doesn't result in action. It just kind of mm -hmm. results in like, you know what? I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm not going to look yeah. at it. And I've been there with my credit card too, where I'm like, I know how bad it is. I'm just not going to look at it. And you know what? Not looking at it is not helpful. Right. And we know that, but it's so hard sometimes to just like admit to ourselves that we did something wrong. And then we, if we act now, it'll be better. than yeah. now. And, you know, I think with finances, it's kind of, to me, it was always put in that category of like politics, religion, sex, and then there's money of like, don't talk about it. It's a little taboo. Like, you know, it was like, there's not forbidden subjects, but not your like typical dinner conversation. And so I think what happens is when we do make those big mistakes, when that credit card statement does come in, right? It's like, oh, I, I messed up. So how do we approach that to make sure we don't repeat it and also not feel that shame of making poor financial decisions? Because whether we like it or not, you know, we've all been there. We're all going to be there. It's just, to me, I feel like it's something that is just going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've had this with mul in multiple different variations, I would say, with my clients where, they, for example, I have all my clients do a financial audit. And I have them look up every single account that's in their name, whether that's all the student loans they have, their credit cards, their checking savings, but then like any random 401k from four jobs ago that you forgot about, like any account I have, you look it up and just write down the balance. Okay. Mm -hmm. I've had so many clients who have a lot of hesitation towards it. And then 
they tell me, I said I was going to do it this week, but I sat down to do it and I can't do it. And I think it's a very similar feeling of like, yeah. I just don't want to look at it. And what I always tell those, those clients who are feeling that much anxiety is, okay, sit down to do the task. And I want you to take notes at every step that you take in this task, where, at what point do you feel like I want to stop? Is it sitting down to do it? Is it opening the accounts? Is it logging in? Like where, where in that whole process are you feeling the most resistance? Mm -hmm. Write it down, write down. I am feeling resistance at the login page. And then I always say like, you can either push through that if you feel comfortable or you can say it's too much. I'm going to come back later, but I have you write down where you're feeling that resistance because then we can start asking why. Mm -hmm. And I do this exercise called the five whys. So let's say um, it's at the login page. Why do you feel resistance at the login page? Because I'm afraid of what I'll see. Why are you afraid of what you'll see? Because it will put me in, it'll show me all of my mistakes. Why are your mistakes bad? Because, and I've had this, I've done this with a client and finally what we got to was, I feel like I don't wanna look at my stuff because it'll show me what's real, which means that my goal of moving to a new city on the timeline that I thought will not be possible, which will make me feel bad. And I told her, okay, that's really great. Now we understand why you're feeling resistance. And then I asked her, why did you come up with the timeline you did for moving? And she goes, oh, it's just a date that I wanted to move. And I go, okay, so we need to reset your expectations about a timeline for a goal that you arbitrarily picked. Because when you set that goal, you didn't have any data about when that would realistically be able to happen. So you set yourself up for failure by setting an un, what is it, unreasonable expectation. And then we reset that expectation, that date, and then the anxiety was gone. Then she went through the financial audit and there was no problem. But um, I think like that, that whole process takes a lot of mental energy, yeah, mental energy and like yeah. mindfulness. But it really is a mindfulness practice of like, where am I feeling anxiety? Why? Why, 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 why? To get to the root cause. Because um, then that's really the problem. The problem is not looking at your bank account. Yep. There's some other problem happening below yep. the surface. So I, I want to dive into this a little bit more because we, and when I say we, I mean me because I don't shut up sometimes. And I am just very interested in you and your story that we need to talk about nightlight financials. Yes. <laughs> Tell me all about it because you're seeing my services. People are probably like, what are you talking about? So get, talk to us about that. Where did it come from? Why the name? Give us the details. Yes. Okay. So Nightlight Financials is a financial coaching firm, I guess. Firm? Is that the right agency? Yes. Firm, whatever. That I started. Boss. Um, um, and basically I'm a financial coach. So I work with women who struggle with overspending much like I did when I graduated college and I help them turn that into consistently saving thousands of dollars while still living the life they love. And so I think like throughout our conversation, you've probably heard notes of that. Like, mm -hmm. I don't believe in cutting everything out. If it's, if it sparks joy, if you want to buy the freaking latte, buy the latte, right. I don't care. But um, I really help people align the goals that they have in their head with what they're actually doing with their budget on a monthly basis. Because when you ask, what is your financial goal? I've never heard someone say, oh, I've never thought about that. I don't know. Everyone has something that they want that they know is going to be big, like buying a house, moving, retiring, whatever it is. 
Um, and so the problem is we all have these ideas in our head, but, the, but they don't align with the actions that we take on a daily or monthly basis. Mm -hmm. So I just help people align those um, and make sure that they're working towards their goals in a way that they feel happy and proud of. Um, and so I do that on a one-on-one -on -one basis, but I also have a program called Six Figure Saver, which I'm really excited about. It's a, it's kind of like a mixture of a group coaching program and an e-course where you walk through the e-course on your own. And then we have calls every week where we can interact. I can give you feedback, et cetera. Um, and so, yeah, that is Nightlight Financials. The name, I know you mentioned where did the name come from? Um, when I was a kid, I was really afraid of the dark. Like, I actually still am afraid of the dark, <laughs> but it's easier to say when I was a kid. I guess that's when it started. When I was a kid, I was really afraid of the dark. Um, and so what my sister and I shared a room, and we would argue about having the hall light on and the door open or having the door closed because my sister liked to sleep in the dark. So finally, my mom got me a nightlight, like many kids, um, and it helped me sleep better at night. And when I was thinking about finances, I know like we're talking about this like idea of I'm scared to look at my accounts. I'm afraid to log in. I'm afraid to like be, you know, face to face with the reality of my money. Um, and I know that deep fear is in a lot of us because we were not taught how to manage this stuff pretty much ever in our childhood and early adulthood. You're right. So I kind of thought of that metaphor. I loved that metaphor of I will be your nightlight. I'll hold your hand in the dark. We can get through it together and it'll help you sleep better at night knowing that like there's no boogie monster in your bank account. Like it's gonna be okay. And even if you have done past mistakes, like we all have, there is a way forward um, if you start. And so that's kind of where nightlight came from. Um, it took a very long time to figure out that name though, man. It's funny when we initially talked and you told me that I was like, I love it. And now as you tell me again, I'm like, I love it so much. You know, I just, I think it's genius. And I'm happy it took you a little bit because I think you landed on the right name. Um, so for somebody who's interested in your services, um, specifically that one-on-one -on -one coaching, can you talk us through what that relationship looks like? Yeah. One-on-one -on -one coaching is awesome because it's so personalized and I love it because I like, I feel like really, really connected to my clients. Yeah. So tactically, I do a three-month coaching package, and we meet every other week. Um, the reason it's not every week is I feel people need a little bit of time to implement before they come back for more help. So we meet every other week, but you also have access to me on um, Marco Polo, which is an app where you send videos back and forth. So I'm pretty much always available. And with the one-on-one -on -one coaching specifically, it's extremely personal personalized personal personalized you got it i'm like what is that word <laughs> it's extremely personalized um because basically i i take your goals and then we figure out what it is that we need to work through so for some people we need to work through investing strategy for some people we just need to start at zero and like create the first budget and go through the process of budgeting for some people it's really about that more like money mindset, emotional response that we need to work through. So with one-on-one -on -one coaching, we really figure out for the first couple sessions, we figure out what do we need to work on? And then the last, you know, couple months, we tackle that really head on. Um, that being said, I do have a framework through which I approach it. It's called, and I coined it, I'm super excited about it. It's called the wealthy by design system. 
Um, and wealthy by design because I'm a designer. And so it's all around designing your wealth. So it's kind of like the outcome will be your wealth, whatever that means to you, but it's by design because we have worked and crafted it together. And so kind of the basic steps are defining your goal. Like what are, remember the save to spend thing, define those big chunks, break them down, and then we get into like, okay, what are the things that you specifically need to work on to make those goals happen? And that's where the different strategies come into play. Um, but at the end of it, we have created an entire financial strategy that is tailored to your psychology, to your tendencies, to your income, to your expenses, to your life, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's amazing. And I, I imagine that this came out of a need. So what led you to create this? Yeah. So back back in the days when i was just starting into it i had a lot of girlfriends and we had heard a study i think it was from bank of america randomly that they had done on the differences of um the differences in the genders and how they approach finances and the study showed that women are statistically much better at saving and budgeting and that men are much worse at that but then the conclusion was men's net worth ends up being higher at the end of their lives because men are more risk adverse and are more likely to start investing young. Mm. And we were like, what? Like, hell no. So yeah. we started a group of us women where we were going to talk about investing, saving, budgeting. Um, and we were also going to talk, you know, about like, because we we're all working at the same company, we're going to talk about those RSUs, mm -hmm. the bonuses, all the different stuff and what we were going to invest in. So we started a like a wine night on Wednesdays where we would talk about all this stuff. Um, and I guess like through learning from my father and also just my general interest in it, I had a really strong aptitude towards it, especially the um, complicated legal stuff. So whenever it came up around like how does capital gains tax work and how are we taxed on our investments and how do we maximize those taxes? Um, what, you know, like, what is compound interest? Like all that kind of heady stuff I had a natural aptitude towards. So some of my girlfriends would just naturally come to me from that group and be like, can you explain this one more time to me? Um, and eventually I was like, oh, like this is a thing. <laughs> like people need help walking them through this process. Mm -hmm. um, and my, one of my best friends, Isabel Rogner, she was my cheerleader and she's like, Gina, I think you should do this coaching thing. So I started coaching her. She was my first client mm. and um, we would meet on like a bi-weekly basis and we would talk about her, her budget. We would talk about her investments. We talked about like budgeting for her upcoming trips. And, um, and her big goal was I want to quit my job for 12 months and start my startup. And I don't, mm. I want to be able to support myself for 12 months. So we, we, she through like through the coaching, she ended up saving over $50,000. Um, and, and then I was like, Isabel, you're ready. Like you can quit your job. You can start your startup if you want. And she goes, you know what? I actually don't think I want to quit my job anymore. I think I want, and then she has a couple different ideas to buy a house or go get her MBA without any debt because she saved up all the money. Yep. But it's funny how, when, when we save the money, like our goals do change, but anyways, that's kind of how it started. And I, immediately was like, I love this. It's like, this is, this is me because it, it combines this, like that kind of the five whys thing it combined. That is from design thinking. That's a design thinking exercise. Yeah. 
So I get to combine all this design thinking and innovation methodologies that I learned in Silicon Valley with my natural aptitude and just general nerdiness around finances to help someone. Um, and the reason I'm so passionate about it is because I am not in love with the examples of quote unquote financial gurus that I have seen in like the media. Um, there is a lot of shaming that is done. A lot of like, you suck, you're broke, you're in debt, you need to change, you need to do this. And also like, even if it's not that aggressive, there's like very prescriptive advice. Like you need to invest in a Roth IRA and a 401k and da 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 da. And I'm like, whoa, you don't know these people's lives. And so I think that um, that's why I always say, I'm not here to tell you what to do with your money. I'm here to help you align with your goals because people know what they need. They just don't necessarily know how to get there. So that's where I really doubled down on my coaching practice because I was like, I, I don't want this super shaming, like terrible, you know, it doesn't help with the money mindset. If someone is yelling at you that you suck at money. And I wanted to change that narrative in my little small corner of the world. So that's kind of why I started. Oh, that's so beautiful. And so now we have a segment on the podcast called Truth and Trial. Okay. So my question to you is what has been the greatest trial in your career so far? And then the follow up to that is just what did it teach you? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I will take this from my, because I feel like Nightlight Financials is still quite young. We just celebrated the first anniversary. Um, Congratulations. I feel like I haven't been working at it long enough to feel the big trial yet. I'm sure it's coming, like <laughs> I'm waiting for it. But, but what I will say is in my professional career, when I joined into it, I joined a very specific group within the company um, that was just so motivating to me. I had amazing managers, I had phenomenal teammates. Um, I felt so lucky because everyone I worked with, I respected and like, I thought was super smart and I thought we were doing amazing work. So mm-hmm. I was like on cloud nine. Um, and we had a couple org changes happen. And for about, I don't know, over a year, I never had a manager for more than three months. So in about, yeah, in about like the two years time, I think I've had like eight different managers. Wow. Um, which means I've never had someone that's been able to guide me properly, especially as an early career, right? I've never had someone that was guiding me properly. The way promotions work in corporate America pretty much is your manager needs to put you up for promotion. You, especially uh, the promotion process at Intuit is very formalized. Um, So I have not been able to be promoted in the last three years. And I feel like there's obviously always stuff that I can work on to be a better version of myself. But I also feel like it's been really tough because I've never had, in the last couple of years, I haven't had a manager for over three months. And so it feels like I, I don't have that champion. Um, and it was definitely tough. Now we have a, a manager who is like staying for the long haul. Like luckily we finally found the right person for the team, but it was definitely um, struggle bus for a little while. Luckily I had my coworkers who were really tight. And so we kind of went through it together, but I think, the main thing that that taught me, and I'm really happy that it taught me this lesson was, um, I need to figure out, like in my role, I because we didn't have managers to direct us, I had to figure out what is the most impro- important project that I need to do right now for the business. Mm-hmm. So 
what does that project look like? Who needs to be involved? And basically, because I didn't have anyone to hand me an assignment, I had to create my own assignments mm -hmm. for a very long time. And I think that skill is actually so important. Figuring out what is the most important thing that I need to be working on right now um, without someone necessarily telling me, although taking input from many people. Um, and now I use that in my business every day because as a business owner, no one's gonna tell you what's important. Right. You need to figure out what's the most important task I need to do right now. Um, so I will say that it was definitely a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Um, because that skill is, it's, it's kind of like a soft skill, I would say. Mm -hmm. It's not a hard skill. And I don't think that there's clear, like a clear path to teach someone how to do that, but I think it's so vitally important. And yeah. unfortunately, I think like through our education system, and I know you're a teacher, but through our education system, we have been told from the time we were in kindergarten, what room to be in for how long, yeah. what we would be doing in that room. What is like, what are the criteria for success in that room? Yeah. And then we get put into adulthood and they say, go figure out what, what is right. And we're like, whoa. So I think that going through that process with having like these influx of different managers um, really taught me how to figure out what's important. And it's a skill I imagine too, is not something that you're like, Hmm, today I'm going to work on this. It's you're almost thrown into it and then you learn how to make it work. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think there are many, many ways that our education system fails our kids because, you know, one of my girlfriends and I talk about it in terms of like, we didn't really know how to do our taxes. We didn't really know how to budget. We didn't know how to do a lot of these things that would have been nice to know post-grad. And so I don't take any offense to that. If anything, even in English class, I tried to make sure that we like do real life things because, you know, I've got high schoolers, like they're going to be out on their own soon. So no, I'm, I'm with you. And I think for you, like, to me, this is just a full circle moment for you of, you know, you were able, I'm sure what was incredibly frustrating ended up being one of your greatest strengths now as you start this new venture as a businesswoman, right? Totally. A hundred percent. So it has been, I mean, truly it's been such an honor to be able to sit and talk with you. And I feel like I've learned so much from you because everything that is in your wheelhouse is not in mine. So it's just been really great to learn and understand more about this world, but also to, to take comfort in knowing that there are people like you out there who are championing people like me who don't really know much about this stuff just yet. So where can people find you? Where can they hang out with you? Where can they hire you? Give us, give us all the goods. Okay, so I hang out on Instagram the most. It's my um, social media of choice. So my handle is just my name, at Gina Knox. Um, and I also update my blog semi-regularly, which is at nightlightfinancials.com. Um, but I would say, like, if you need help with your finances, if you just need some free resources, check out my Instagram and then just DM me. Like, I am open, open book. If you have specific questions, you need help dm me i'm always on the dms um and like i mentioned a bit ago i am launching my new program six figure saver which is that e-course program awesome thank you so much gina again really appreciate you coming on the show and you guys i hope you like me got so much out from this and don't just stop hanging out with gina here you know where to find her but we will see you next week thank you so much for being here